listening to the Food Talk Show. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and I came in a bit too early then. <laughs> Music was still playing. <laughs> Sorry Ollie. Hi there, I'll start Hi. again. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson, and for the next half hour or so, we're going to be talking all things food and drink, and as usual, I'm joined by my lovely fellow presenter, Ollie Lloyd, Head of Client Solutions at Hearst Publications and founder of Great British Chefs. Hey. There is a very, very pungent smell. I'm I think almost that put you on, off. Is that what it was? I'm almost on the verge of sneezing. You know when you, when you can smell it so much? Mm. Can you? Yeah, it's, yeah. Going, it's right up my nasal I think if, if I sneeze, there would be complete Oh, no, 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 no. You can't, you can't sneeze. And, and the reason why we're saying that is in front of us, we, we have got six wooden bowls full of spices. And I don't mean like a tiny bit. I mean... Like dinner-sized plates. Dinner-sized plates full <laughs> of spices so we're going to find out all about that um in, in a tick and as usual we're joined by um some great guests uh three lovely guests today um are you do you use spices a lot i do but oh. i don't get i need to get fresher spices i know the ones that i've got at home like are probably about a year old and have t- actually don't taste of anything probably like sawdust but it's difficult because you know we consume at a certain rate mm. you know and you'll go through in a couple of jars of things over a year and then you have to buy them. So the, the difficulty is, is that I think there's a gap between the size of the pack and the speed at which you use it, and the two are not aligned. Yeah, and you're supposed to keep them in the dark. I mean, what I really mine should... are kept in the dark in a, in a yeah. cupboard from India. Well, well, me, are they? I mean, what I really should do, I think, is um, is, is grind my own. But I just forget. Do you have, you have you have a lot of time at the moment, do you? I will be soon. Already good. I'm going to retire. No, I like that. Then you can. Well, still be doing this. That's oh, my hobby. hobby. Is it just grinding spices? Yeah, just I'll stick with sourdough. Well, no, one of my key things is to get on my children's nerves because it feels like <laughs> once you know it's payback time, isn't it? I bought them up all those years. I've left well, home, thought, and I now thought, I should give them a bit of a I hard time. Just look after their children. Well, I'm doing that a little bit. Yeah, but I like to be naughty. No, that's that, that grandchildren that the role, because that then the yeah, because then you can have them screaming abdabs, yeah. full of sugar, and then hand them back. Yeah. Or just give them those a spice and see what happens. <laughs> Spices will be better. Yeah, spice chili. Will be better, yeah. Um, so we're going to be talking spices with Aaron Capil of Green Saffron. Hi, Aaron. Thank you Hi, for bringing all this stuff in. No problem. It is blasting my senses at the moment. We're also joined by Hannah Glasson of Intune. Thank you, Hannah. You've got some stuff with you too, haven't you? Yeah, I've got some samples to crack open. Excellent. There. Oh, I don't know which order we'll do this in. Um, and uh, you've got some great PR knowledge. So we're going we're gonna to ask for some top tips in terms of using PR and, getting, and raising profile if you're starting a new product. And right. I'm also joined by Jack Galliano. I love that name. Thank you very much. Not Jack. <laughs> Galliano. It's a great name. Uh, Jack Galliano of Galliano Dining. Now, you'll, you'll be able to just sit here and just sample stuff. Absolutely. It sounds and, good to me. Yeah, it's good. That you've, you've got a good time. So let's start off with some spices. Um, um, Aaron, uh, tell us what we have in front of us, and then we're going to go through each uh, in turn. Yeah, we've got a whole different um, array of blends that I do uh, specifically for different chefs. So I suppose what makes green saffron so very different from all other spice companies is that we're trading direct at source. We're trading direct with farmers in India. 
and then we're bringing them in new seasons, crops, single origin, spice, highest volatile oil content, and then grinding them to specific recipes. And that's where I kind of have my fun um, in terms of the food service bits, these blends that you see here. Trying to come up with different blends that bring out the nuance in different parts of your food, the proteins, the vegetables and bits and pieces, rather than treating a spice as an Indian ingredient or a Malay ingredient, but just treating it as a flavour ingredient and trying to enhance food through through beautiful, fresh, delicious, natural flavour. So let's go through what we've got here. What's this one here? So we've got a, we've got a colour that's, um, let's say, I don't know, um, it's slightly Is it? burnt, umbery Ooh, sort of colour. Yes, um, um, very, very powdery. It's, so it's been, grind, it's been ground really down fine. quite... Really yeah, yeah, sorry. And, and you're fine. right. Um, so, so what is that one there? The grind is so fine because it's for desserts and sweets. So oh. that's actually mixed spice. Oh, so okay. it's actually to do with one of the really traditional sort of Edwardian recipes. So it sells really sort of um, heavy in the eugenol, which is in the clove and in the, in the nutmeg. But that's just because the spices are so very, very fresh. So it gives a real pungency to it. Mm, it's huge smells of cloves there. It's, yeah, but again, you see, because the main um, flavour element or volatile oil, of which is the all-important part of a spice, is eugenol. And eugenol is in... Basil, nutmeg, cassia leaves, cinnamon, those sort of things. So, yeah. So, that one's clove, ginger, cinnamon, uh, mace, nutmeg, a little bit of orange zest, and green cardamom. Yeah. Um, now, cloves, mace, nutmeg were very traditional, and cinnamon, weren't they? Very traditional in, in um, uh, Victorian times. Yeah. Um, and, and something that was used quite a lot. Interesting for me with those ingredients is they're used for both savoury and sweet, aren't this they? This is the, yeah. And again, it's so going, ginger. Bit yeah, weird. Exactly. Well, you see, I tend to sort of see spices in, well, colours, but also in different notes, so base, medium, and high. So to try and create the balance of those different notes, whereby ginger will have that real depth, that real warmth of, mm. of um, flavour, and the green cardamom and that lo lovely little ping, the poke bit at the top. So yeah, just all different spices to create different warmth and notes and different and, and that sort of mixed spice blend, what would you typically use that for? So that can be things like your Christmas pudding, your, oh, your yeah, mince yeah. meats, um, but at the same time, the Romans would be using it with... Um, um, a, a heavy sort of beef stews with red wine and bits and pieces again to bring out. The mm, no, see, I never think of using those sorts of spices with a with a stew. Don't you? No. See, I think that's quite Moro with our friends. That's true, actually. It's kind of yeah. I mean, North African in a way. Yeah, there, there is this, and again, it's trying. What I'm trying to do because I'm half Indian, half English, is trying to combine what mm. how I was brought up. Yeah. So to combine the different flavors of the West and the East, and that's kind of how I come up with things. Yeah. Now, what about this one here? This one's uh, much chunkier. Yeah, indeed. Um, and so we've got a mixture here when we look at it. it it's um, So it looks like it's got white pieces in it, very dark pieces, and then very um, beautiful colour, sort of uh, golden. Um, so there's a whole mixture there. What's in that one? That looks like um, pepper. Yeah, that's uh, well, there is a pepper in there. That's yeah. actually a blend rather like a garam masala or a quatre pizza, four spice. That's a Japanese seven spice. So you've got seaweed in there, which gives it the iodine, yeah, orange notes. And we toast the orange to give it a lovely sort of buttery, orangey flavour. And we use Sancho pepper or uh, tepal. Uh, and indeed it has um, hemp as well. So, um, yeah, and black and white sesame seed. See, I think one of the things I'm finding at the moment is that because I'm trying to cook more vegetables as like the main meal... Um, and moving beyond the sort of moment where my wife and I look at each other and go, and the main course is? <laughs> um, it's actually, I think, using spice mixes like this with, you know, really well-cooked, you know, whether it's broccolis or cabbages or stuff, actually sprinkling this kind of thing on just brings an interest and excitement that is kind of way beyond what I think we're used to. If you go back in time, and I think about my father's and mother's spice cabinet of the sort of 
1970s and 1980s, you know, you had the classic green spices. Yes. But you wouldn't have anything as... This is quite orange zesty, though, isn't it? In a beautiful way, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, When you you add it to things, it does. I mean, Ollie is bang on. The point is, if you can use that like a condiment, it works so well with uh, crab or scallop with with, (gasps) crustacea. Crab. But at the same time, really well with brassicas, because brassicas has that natural astringency. So you add a bit of chilli heat there, you add a bit of a tingle with Sancho pepper, Mm. and the lovely orange note just brings out the astringency and at the same time just... I mean, that on cabbage would just be... would be magic. Crab. Buttered cabbage. Mm. Crab. I, 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 yeah. Crab. Well, some nice, um, there's a nice spice notes there, actually pepper. Spices. Yeah. Now, w- when I normally see Japanese seven spice, it just doesn't, it, when you buy it in the shops, it just doesn't And again, this is the whole point. Anything. Yeah, you said at the top of the show there about fresh spice. Well, mm. I've actually got a book out, book out, published by Pavilion called Fresh Spice. But um, that is the whole point to a spice. It has to be full of beautiful, fat, juicy, volatile oils. So the more vibrant looking the spice, the better it's going to be, the better That's it's going to be. quite oily. Mm. Yeah. Which is great. Because mm. normally stuff is just so dry. Isn't it? So dry. I'm liking that one. I might steal that one. The orange is absolutely amazing as well. Mm. And the other three? <laughs> the other three. We have, um, we have a ginger innovation. So this is um, one we used for um, Panda Peace. So for Dukas, I made this blend for him there. So for a gingerbread, basically. So, so there's like 16 different notes in this gingerbread. So adding the heat, what with long pepper and cubeb pepper and ginger and rose and orange again. So this is to enhance a gingerbread. This one here is... Ooh. Have you Did you taste that one? Ooh. Yeah, isn't it? It's, it's a thing a, of, I think, okay. a thing of beauty. I love it. There's 16 different notes there. And I'm trying to play on what does... I'm constantly challenging myself. What does something taste like? And can I make that taste in the, in the spice blend? That is so complicated. I don't yeah. even know if to start on that one. Um, it's oh, one wow. of the most complex blends that I come up with I think yeah, because I'm put really pinging around with different notes there so it's a real play and when you add it and actually we got a three star in the Great Taster Award for the gingerbread we made with it a friend made with it sorry Bill King but, um, I'm ending on cardamom so, so I've got loads of stuff happening and then... it just keeps going doesn't it you start yeah. with this really try, kind of, I mean to be fair it's not yeah. meant to be eaten straight so we're messing around we accept this but you do start with a moment where it's like <laughs> it's making me cough she's trying to sneeze they're actually covered in a dust of um... so interestingly so, so, so when you taste it I've got something and then I've got something else and then I've got something yeah. going but you on see, I've got something else going on. Ollie, you're right as well because the whole point is it goes into a sort of muscovado sugar sort of heavy sort of gingery um, uh, environment, doesn't it? So something a little light that's going to go all over the place adds a bit of interest to the, mm. to the gingerbread, the parking or whatever. You're going to be making barn break. Yeah, and that just looks like uh, the colour of demerara sugar, doesn't it? It looks like an inconsistency of demerara sugar. And it flecked with the pink of the rose. So it's quite nice. Mm. Yeah. Lovely. What's this one in front of me? This is much, this is m- much more of a sort of um, gorgeous... That's what I call juicy fruit so it's a lot more astringent so it's again with fruit for poaching fruit goes in um, um, poached fruits stewed fruits uh, apple pie it's particularly brilliant with apple pie or apple crumble Um, I add something to that called amateur powder as well and amateur is desiccated mango so that has a real astringency so it needs to be in a sweet or a rich environment that, that particular blend to help to cut through things again you're noticing... No, 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 there's so much. I mean, it's... Yeah. <laughs> I just don't know where to start because my mouth's gone a bit weird and it's like, it's, it's trying to work out what's going on. Well, that's on. what I'm trying to do is create new flavours and create new madness and just to bring something new to, to market, you know what I mean? So, so that you say here that that's got um, white pepper, yeah. cloves, allspice, cinnamon, mace, nutmeg, rose petal, cassia, clove, ginger, star anise, nutmeg, long pepper, mace and vanilla pod. Yes. Indeed. <laughs> what do you do? Just sit at home like, and, and, and like, mucking no, around? Unfortunately, I do, because when I moved over to what Ireland... What your family thing? <laughs> <laughs> my wife and my little terrier are very forgiving. <laughs> no, um, I, uh, when I moved over to Ireland in 2004, I, and I started the business in 2006-07, for literally four or five years, I 
was making blends consistently. I now have 552 blends that last count for everything, be it spider crab or scallop or what all these kind of bits and pieces. So just having fun, you know, playing. And you're working mainly with the kind of the B2B side of the business. Well, no, we have, we're really fortunate. We have a brand uh, that we just launched into Waitrose uh, and it's all over Ireland. We're working with ingredients, yep, so coming up with seasonings for various um, onward processes and also uh, trading raw material commodities out of direct from farms in India. So we're literally linear line of sight from farm to fork. Um, I kind of say, we say responsible farm to discerning fork is what we get up to. So that way we've got total chain of custody of our product so I know it's not being messed around with. So I know that when I'm paying the farmer, the farmer is getting the cash in his hand. And and these, so I'm looking at some... um some kind of uh, packets, packets yeah. of yeah. Um, with a picture of it does look like you on it I think it's a picture of, um, of you on the front there we are uh, there we go it's like yeah it's why I never went into running my own food brand because it's a terrifying thought that I could be on Not the front um, but so green yeah. saffron is available in regular waitroses in the UK it is so that's right exactly Ollie. yeah no and again it goes back to what you were saying earlier whereby how do you so this is a single meal solution so trying to keep spices at their freshest this is, has a three year um, life because of the triple barrier so it's spices direct from the farms. It's the blends that I've come up with, mm. I'm half Indian, half English. So it's my take on a korma. We have to give it these obvious names like korma and tikka because otherwise people wouldn't necessarily Don't purchase them. Yeah. Yeah. And then on the back, you've got the instructions of how to cook it. That's right. Just trying to keep things simple. And, and these are pretty simple, aren't they? Sweat down your onions, garlic, ginger, add your spices, add your meat or your lentils, cook it through and done. Mm. Yeah. So I've just tasted the garam masala. I do make my own garam masala, actually. Just yeah, thought I'd let you know that, you are, you are in a different league, Sue. So. Oh, mm. no. <laughs> what every, league? I don't know. It's, it's, it's a special foodie league. No, no. This, no, you, I do make my own garam masala because, because garam masala is often the base of a huge number of Indian dishes. Yeah, and again, a And if you've got a great... And, and the garam masala you buy is generally not very good. But if you've got a great um, garam masala, then then after that, um, you, you, you've got a, a great base, haven't you? have got a brilliant recipe I developed for oatmeal cookies using garam masala. Oh, so rather than ginger, but garam masala cookies are phenomenal. Yeah. Mm. I use... Um, what was her name? Who was on here? Oh, yes, you came with those... Yeah. Turmeric no. things. No, no, no. She's got an amazing <laughs> restaurant that she was on Netflix. Uh, oh, Asma Khan. Oh, Asma Khan. I use Asma's uh, recipe for, for garam masala. Yeah. Mm. Asma's um, parents come from the same region as my father, oh, Aligarh okay. in Uttar Pradesh. So this is the northern Indian. She's influenced by the Mughals and influenced, therefore, by the Persians. Yeah. So therefore, rose petal, green cardamom, those kind of um, piggy notes again. Mm. Yeah. Just our final one. What have you got there? Um, it, looks, our... it looks like the colour of that's a slightly brownie turmeric. Yeah. Tumeric. That's your more obvious um, curry powder. We call it cracking curry powder. So it's a Malabar-based blend. So Malabar to the west, the Maharashtra side of India. So in Karnataka, which is the Malabar coast, you have green cardamom, you have peppers, you have turmeric. Now you see, I really, really like that. Yeah, it's beautiful in Muclard to make a great sort of the the um, uh, the Atlantic coast dish in France, a Muclard, so where it's a creme fraiche and curry sauce with mussels. Do you like that? I love it. That is so good. Mm. You're going to take awesome. that home, aren't you? That's lovely. Mm. But I don't want to take anything home, so hopefully it's going to stay. <laughs> Go to a good home here. And and so, you, sorry, what do you call that? That's just that's cracking curry powder. Mm. Yeah. No. Well, curry powder, so many again, curry powder normally doesn't taste so, anything um, disgusting. Myopic. Insipid. Yeah. yeah. Myopic. Insipid. <laughs> one eye. It's just, it's one, like yeah. one, it's just like one, one dimension. singular dimension. And yeah. it's just like... But but I think that's part of what, you know, when you look at people cooking in India and, and Sri Lanka, my wife is from, you know, they oh, just play with spices in, in a completely different way. And it's not just... I want to learn better how to mix spices, I think. Yeah. 
We'll have a talk soon. There you go. I think you want, do you want to pitch for an internship. You an internship in Cork. <laughs> Correct. Part of your Come retirement. Along. Part of my retirement. Yeah. Mm, no, but you, but you are right. That's the whole thing with spices, is to try and make all these different dimensions in food. So, yeah. mm. Jack, what's your take on, on, on spices? So we love, we love using spices. I mean, often for, for what we're doing, we're using very sort of like European and British style food. So it's quite nice to, to spike things often. We don't do lots mm. and lots of spicing, but... What you were saying earlier with, I can't remember what it was, um, but you're saying using for desserts and stuff like that, we've we've spiked pastry and stuff like that. Yeah, so if you're lovely. making a beautiful custard tart, spiking it with spices, that's a lovely thing to do. So just explain a little bit about Galliano dining. What, what do you actually do? So that we are, sales pitch, I mean, well, yeah. predominantly we are a catering company, yeah. um, but my background's uh, fine dining restaurants. And I think once I uh, stopped doing that, I just decided that, Catering's got not a bad connotation, but it's just, um, you know, often if you're mass producing and stuff like that, I think the quality tends to drop off a little bit. We really want to, to boost and make sure that we're keeping that high-end level of So what sort of, of events would you do? We're doing all sorts from from private dinner parties for six people in their house or weddings or big corporate. We had a 600 corporate last week oh and goodness. that kind of thing. So it's literally just anything and everything, mm. but just really focusing on quality and quality yeah. of ingredients that we're using as well. Because, Ollie, you and me, uh, we do go to quite a lot of corporate events, don't we, because of the nature of our job and you know, those sorts of things. Quite often, even though it costs a fortune, actually, organise quite a lot of these things for work um, and they'll charge a fortune per head, the quality is not brilliant. No. Often. The food is normally, what you mean? It's normally okay, I think. But often they don't say. invest in that area, you know, and, the, yeah. the, and then, you know, there's a challenge that if they're trying to get a menu out for 10, 12 quid a head, you know, you're not going to end up with anything decent. Yeah, but the, the events I've been having recently, you know, where people are just wandering around with canapes, mm. that's like 20, 25 quid a head. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think also Jack, if, you're, if you're chucking enough booze at people, they don't really notice. And I think that's the kind of... I think that's the thing is which we really want to be the reason why people are talking about leaving that Venice Ah, oh, the food was really, really good, you know. Mm. And so what sort of things do you do? I mean, literally anything, I'm guessing. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm very comfortable in the kind of fine dining and modern British, that sort of style of food. Um, and we use like, we try and use as much forage ingredients and stuff like that. We work with a couple of foragers in London as well um, and, and very seasonal based Um so, so you said you did a, a, an event for six hundred people last week. How on earth do you manage the logistics of that? Like, let alone how many plates? How do you get hold of six hundred plates for a start? Well, no, no, but, but, but all of that stuff. And then, the, if somebody says oh, we want something hot, I'll be go, oh god, how, how do we do something hot for six hundred people? And you know, it's the logistics of it. Are, I mean, astonishing. It's, definitely, it's definitely like a learning curve for us along the way. We're we're a relatively young business, and we're trying to we're. we're training ourselves as we go but I've worked in hotels as well so it's like that we're doing big numbers in hotels so it's like there's a certain amount of training that we've done there um, and also working for other big events companies and catering companies as well so you you learn along the way but logistically you you there's an element of just you have to make it happen you have to think about every single thing along the way and you you trip up certainly and and it's then getting things right Mm. Someone was explaining the worst catering event to try and do. I won't mention the name of the company that's doing it, but they are doing the IOC dinner, so the International Olympic Committee, which mm, has not only the International Olympic Committee but all the heads of state simultaneously in Japan. 
mm. for the for the opening of the Olympics. Now, you were I just mean, saying, Jack, that you, you you're using spices occasionally, but just with Ollie's example, when you've got so many different cultures with so many different people, let alone all the food allergy you, and I all mean, that stuff at the moment, how do you cope with that? If you're saying, right, can you all tell me what your food allergies? Are? I mean, I don't even know where you start. <laughs> really, I mean, it is just one of those things that you just have to learn to deal with. We we are in a world where there are lots of allergies and lots of dietary requirements, and but and nobody actually, used to. You just say, oh, well, get on with it. Either have it or don't no, have it. Whereas now, but, people are expecting you to do a gluten-free, um, by the way, I don't like crab and I don't like this, I don't like that. But also now people are more knowledgeable and, and what's available for us to buy and to purchase in terms of gluten-free products and, and be it dairy-free and vegan products as well, there's a lot more available for us to buy and, and also there's more recipes out there for mm. us to follow and, and to actually be able to produce these things. Yeah. Whereas, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, Much. no one knew about it and no one really knew how to deal with those things. So what's the best way then, if you've got 600 people, to actually identify somebody that's said, I don't want dairy, but can I have well, extra butter? No, what no. we do I on an event like that. I, I don't mean, want dairy, that, but, you know, I've got other things. specifically was like, uh, it was in an office and they had a rolling full day of like, breakfast pastries yeah, and yeah. then sandwiches, salads, and then later on there was canapes and bowl foods. And you make sure that at least one of everything caters for pretty much everything. a gluten-free, a vegan, a dairy-free. So then all the waiters, all the front-of-house staff are versed on what's what. And then if anyone asks the questions, then we, we try and cater for everyone yeah. at any one time. It's a huge responsibility huge though, responsibility. isn't there? Be- be- because of some recent cases. Um, um, how, how do you shift the responsibility from you onto the participant is it just through you know really really clear labeling yeah and, and making sure that, that that's people exactly are it. I making mean, their own decisions and not relying on you there's certain like sense. laws involved in what we have to do now so any any big job like that we have to have allergen sheet filled out beforehand and all of the front of house staff will have to be trained. versed yeah. and trained to a certain extent but then also from the client's point of view it's up to them to make themselves known and if they've got anything if they've got any severe allergies we need to, we need to make sure that our allergen sheets are up to date and then if they if they eat something that is you know labeled and it is it's got an allergen in it then that is then their their yeah. problem not yeah. ours but we just need to make sure that we really know what we're doing and what we're putting into things and that we've logged it correctly and how do you deal with cross contamination because if you if you've got so many different dishes going out in a day how do you, how do you deal with that i mean in a kitchen like ours we we do everything we can to be Separate. We, yeah, we, we, we keep it separate, but to a certain extent, it's like we use nuts. We use all of the allergens in the kitchen, so you can't guarantee no cross-contamination, and we make sure that we make that clear. Make that mm-hmm. clear. Mm. Um, so, uh, and um, before we go on to these lovely drinks, actually, I'm a little bit thirsty after tasting some of those spices. <laughs> um, yeah, a little bit heat. Um, and so, what are you seeing as trends that people are, you know, looking at in terms of dining now uh, when they're bringing? Um, you know, outside caterers in? So certainly for me, I think what people are really interested, I mean, what I've seen in the restaurant scene is that, that gone are the days where people are wanting to spend a hell of a lot of money on on going out to eat because, or certainly wanting to spend a hell of a lot of money on to get quality. I think 10 years ago to eat really good food, you had to go and, oh, certainly for me, I'd save up and go to the Gavroche or go to Alain Ducasse and stuff like that. Whereas now, you can go and eat in restaurants like Perilla in northwest London or St. John Bread and Wine, and you can eat a really, really good, amazing meal for 30 quid a head. Those are the trends for me. And people are people are much more interested in food than they were before. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're finding, Ollie? That's uh, definitely true. I mean, particularly in the high end, and look, it's not, it's not universal in the sense no. that there are parts of the country where 
food is probably as interesting as it was and it's all about the land and it's about you know appreciating stuff that comes from within that vicinity it's a different relationship with food but in london and the big cities we have a different relationship with food as entertainment food as theater Mm. food as trend food as you know social currency like we have a whole different kind of um, sort of narrative around the food that we eat, particularly when we hit the sort of the street markets and all that kind of stuff. But you're right, the quality of what's available nowadays is is just completely different. Yeah. So moving over to you, Hannah, you, you've got some... We're all a bit thirsty now. Can we try some of your... <laughs> you've really organised us the right way around, I have, haven't you? Uh, no, I probably haven't. I normally get no, it wrong. It's good. Um, so so um, Hannah, I know you're very experienced in, in PR, which we'd, we'd like to talk about, and, and it'd be very useful, I'm sure, uh, for Jack and Aaron to hear some advice, really, on how to get everybody to <laughs> talk about them, use them, you know, order from them. Um, but just explain why you're pouring these, why you started this particular drink, e- even though you have your own uh, PR company. Yeah, so this is a in tune, a new range of sparkling. Can you pour it while you're talking? Fruit and botanical <laughs> She's desperate. drinks <laughs> made with a high quality CBD. And I'm pouring grapefruit and mint. Thank you for everyone. And yes, exactly as you said, I've been running Story, which is a food and drink specialist comms agency for the last 12 years with my sister, Lana. And through that have worked with lots of brilliant brands with purpose and and, uh, who make quality food and drink. So the likes of Sipsmith. Talisker, Whiskey, uh, Tony's Chocolate Only, and have been very inspired by great quality produce. And last year when I had uh, treatment for breast cancer, I discovered that CBD could really help with focus at work and uh, shared CBD with my colleagues and friends and family. And they all shared this benefit of focus uh, from taking CBD. And so we decided to package it up in a delicious way. We worked with some world-leading bartenders to make it taste good and balance out the bitterness of the CBD and also find a a, a top quality hemp source that could be traced all the way back to the farm. So that, that was very nice. I just had that. I feel much more focused. <laughs> <laughs> you, need, you need to drink a whole can before feeling, uh, feeling the effect. But yes, uh, so grapefruit and mint is the first one. Then elderflower and hops will come on to you now. Okay. It's a very, that first one, while that's been poured, it's a very, it's a very clean taste. Mm. I think that's true. Some of the I CBD... Can't, I can't taste the CBD at all, actually. But is that part of the point? Do you, I mean, because yes. CBD does have a particular flavour profile. Edge to it, yeah. It does. It's quite it's quite bitter, very earthy. And so we decided that we would just make it taste good. And so we worked with Crucible, co-working space for bartenders in East London, where they have amazing laboratory equipment. And they really balanced out the flavour of the CBD with complementary uh, botanicals and fruits. So how do you manage to contain the benefits of CBD? you know, and yet take out the taste. I can't understand how you managed that. That's quite difficult. Mm. Yeah, so the, the the benefits are still in there. The the CBD oil is water-soluble and then it's blended with the fruits and botanicals and so so all the goodness is still in there. What's your feeling of where, so where CBD goes in terms of as an ingredient? Because, it's you know, we've talked a lot about it and I think... Lots of different brands are doing different things with it. You know, there's obviously the sort of the oil end of the spectrum. There's kind of the much more gimmicky kind of sort of mellow out end of the spectrum. You're doing something quite different here. I mean, where's this all going? Well, it's going to be regulated for a start soon, so that's going to be interesting. The regulation is is coming in and and we absolutely welcome that because 
we are fully traceable. You can go onto our website and see the whole journey of, of our CBD <coughs> all the way back to the farm, which, which I've been to in northern Lithuania. And so regulation will be a good thing. It will mean that quality brands will, will shine through. I think there's so much opportunity because it has great benefits that are still being discovered, still... So much research being done into into the benefits of CBD and how it can regulate you and help with all sorts of things from mood, sleep, appetite, all the way through to the medical benefits. And so there's a whole opportunity for people to come in with different products for different purposes. So for sleep, you might want to take a much higher dose. For focus at work, which is where we are, uh, you know, a, a lifestyle dose is great. So, yeah, lots that's, of... That's nice, that one. You were just yes. nodding your head, weren't you, um, Aaron? Mm. The pomegranate and ginger. It's beautiful. I like, I like that one. Really, is Have you tasted that one? They're really not... I mean, they're really... Um, I think so, you know we've certainly seen some very gimmicky and sort of playful ones in this space, but this is trying to be a much more sort of sophisticated, mainstream. elegant... Main, but, but yeah, but mainstream. Mm. I'd, I'd, I'd buy those as a drink. Not not just because they taste nice, mm. which is I, I presume is what you're trying to get to, Hannah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and it's got another benefit as well. Oh, good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, the, so to speak. It, it, it's come from my experience with CBD and my belief in it as as something that can help people to thrive every day. But um, you know, first and foremost, it's a delicious drink. Mm-hmm. And which has actually got how these brands have got to work because if you don't hit the fundamental. It's driver, okay. yeah. which is that it tastes good because you're not just not going to buy it. Mm. You know, go back to your live kefir that you still dream about. Um, that was def- amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing, mm. but definitely not the first taste I still remember. <laughs> um, yeah, it's weird because you got used to it. It was, yeah. it was uh, extremely odd. So for, for Aaron and, and Jack's purposes and also for our listeners, explain to me how you would absolutely market a new product like this in the drinks space, given that you've got all these other clients. And what have you found, obviously, starting your own? Well, it's it's all about finding 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 the story, making it simple, and getting out to the right people at the right time. So, for Intune, you would market it in a very different way from a more traditional, you know, Talus whiskey, for example. And so, for us, because we are speaking to people who might be in a co working space, for us, podcasts collaborations with co-working spaces, partnerships with street food markets, you know, that would be the right way for us to get out as in tune. Whereas uh, another more established company might want to go out in a more traditional way. So So is that really understanding or working out who your market is? So so the first step is, where is my market? What's the profile of them? Maybe their age or their profession or what they do or their attitudes and behaviours? Homing in on that and then working backwards from that to decide where you need to be and what your messages are and what language to use, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's exactly it. And uh, and exactly as you said, attitudes, where they are, what they're up to and see how you can how you can speak to them, you know, as part of their day. And is that the way around to do it as opposed to this is what I like. I've asked my mum, she likes that design as well. Um, and, you know, if effectively what you're doing is you're deciding what you think should be and then you're pushing it out. Do, do you think it's better to, 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 you know, actually really understand your market, work out what they like, you know, what colours they respond to and all that sort of stuff 
and then build backwards from that. Yeah, and get out there and, and speak to them as well. You know, Ollie, you know all about this, getting out there, speaking to to real people, gathering gathering data, and it will steer you in one direction or another. And that's something we've always done at Story, you know, started with the people and then tuned the story to to, to speak to them. Is that key, do you think? Ollie? Totally. Any I, mean, brand? Look, I think the difficulty today is... It's a difficulty and an opportunity, which is the world of media has changed fundamentally. And you look at, you know, the old days where you could get sort of big splashes, big PR splashes in the likes of the Sun and the Mail and the Times and the Telegraph. That is just a lot harder nowadays because the fact that they're all probably losing money and they're all really focused on ultimately trying to find ways to make money, which means they're more focused on the advertising end of the spectrum than giving away free space. And they're definitely blockers in place to stop that stuff now. So there is no, I think, division as much between church and state as there was in the old days. So brands that want free PR are finding it harder and harder, which is why you need to stand out and you really need to have a relevant product proposition so that you can kind of weasel through that increasingly tight net that says, you know, you can't reach this. But I think the other thing that's changed is social media. And if you look at the data out there, the places that people seek information about food and drink and recipes, the top two places, interestingly, are number one, Instagram, and number two, magazines. So, you know, actually it's quite, you know, and I think a lot of it's just about the sort of the context of those places. I think the point you're making about the co-working space and things is I think what brands need to think most about is what is the context within which you want to be discovered? Because we're all open to different stories at different times. And in one context, a co-working space, you'll be in one kind of mindset. In a, in a street food market, you'll be in another kind of context. Your, the amount of money you're paid to spend at that moment will change. What you're looking for will change. So I think it's, I think absolutely right. It's about understanding the brand story and the, and the target audience you're going after and then finding ways to tell that story in the right contextual environment. And that, envi- so that environment is very important. I mean, a few weeks ago, do you remember we had, the, uh, we had two chefs, um, we had Morrow, obviously, yeah. in the middle of London, and then the chef whose name I forget, terribly sorry, um, was down Jeffrey in Smith. the south. I went south, to see him the other day. He was down in the south I went west. To, went to his restaurant. It was delicious. Somewhere. And what he's saying is, it might, might be fine, you saying that, you know, veganism and all that sort of stuff mm. is trendy here. Nobody, I had a vegan night, nobody turned up, you know. In, know uh, and it is about knowing your environment and your market entirely because that, that it isn't one size fits all always is it no yeah. it com- that's completely true mm. and telling and telling the story in an original way mm. that's going to surprise people as well so at story last year for tony's chocolate only when they were coming over to the uk we created a live experience where there were signs that said free chocolate and when people came through the experience they realized that actually it wasn't about just getting some some free chocolate but it's about making chocolate slave free which is what tony's is all about and mm. their mission is about getting rid of, of slavery within the the chocolate industry so surprise people find the right story to tell them at the right time do something original that's mm. not floating something down the thames <laughs> Yeah. And, and, and of course, then there's very different marketing when you've got business to business or as opposed to business to consumer. So if you're, you know, trying to get somebody to drink your drink, that's one thing. But if Jack's trying to sell to other businesses and corporates, that's a different type of... of but, but the principles still stand, so, I think. I guess they, so, yeah. They, they do stand. You know, we, we know when we do B2B stuff... You've still got to cut through because in the end you're competing for, you know, in your case there are lots of different catering companies, there are lots of different spice companies. You've got to find a way of someone going, you know what, I'm going to actually sit up and take notice of this story and actually engage with it. 
And is that how you're managing to, to stand out, Jack? Is, is, is stick to, you know, that story? It's about quality. We do it differently, you know, and all that, all that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. It's sticking. It's, I think for us, it's really the quality thing. And I think also the clients that we've had already, the, the feedback that we've got has, has been so good. And the content that we've created already has been exactly that. It's, mm-hmm. you know, sticking with quality and making sure that we're, we're reaching to a certain level and never differing between. Because, because feedback is, is really important now. You used to be able to sweep it under the carpet, but you can't now. So somebody will feedback publicly about Absolutely. an event that you, you've been running, won't they? Yeah, well, got to be. if you plug your own business name into Instagram, you're, there's stuff that you don't even realise yeah. has been posted because people are tagging you and things. And where, although they could say something lovely, that it could be horrible as well. And you, you never know what you're going to get. Mm. Tell me about the name Intune. So we we spent quite a lot a lot of time coming up with uh, with the right name for the drink and what we wanted to find was something that spoke of the feeling that you get from the drink and the way uh, that that will impact your kind of internal and external and external environment. So in tune is about feeling more balanced and uh, getting in tune with with yourself and people around you. There you go. I love it. Good answer. Mm. I also love that the, the packaging, which is, I mean, has this sort of, I'm going to use the I'm sort of slightly Bridget Riley type um, lines on it. Um, You're so which, cultured. I know, I know. <laughs> two degrees in art history. I've got to come from and we launched at the same time as the exhibition as well. So people uh, it was a people wondered if it was, yeah. <laughs> but we didn't plan that one. But what's lovely is that it, it's slightly... Um, or party in the sense that it's a little bit hallucinogenic it in terms is a of the bit, colours that are saying, yeah. but it's done with in, in more of it. It's where Paul Smith meets Bridget Riley. You know, it's elegant and stylish. <laughs> can you see the square in the middle? Some people can see it and some people can't. We've got a magic eye. Oh, optical yes. illusion I never going see on those. once I never you see, see those, but yeah, you, you can't do. unsee it mm. yeah. yeah I can actually <laughs> very good very good so um, thank you to our um, three guests Aaron uh, Capil Green Saffron thank you so much for bringing those in no problem. I feel much. better now I've had a little bit of a drink to oh, wow <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, as you say uh, these mixes uh, we can get those in Waitrose now you can of course and, yes. and there's, we'll put loads of links on the website so you can and find those out thank you. so keep doing that at home a little playing around everybody thank else you. watches the telly in the evening Aaron <laughs> <laughs> well you don't you're bright you're blending your own can you imagine well, exactly. he's, got, he's got 20 <laughs> blooming spices he's in that is literally what I get up to yeah, it's mucking mad, about mm. uh, um, so uh, that's green saffron um and thank you, Jack Galliano of Galliano Dining. Thank you very much for having Place me. Place to go if you want some <laughs> really good whatever it is. I, I presume you do anything from pie and mash to little little canapes. Little canapes, yeah. That's anything. what we love doing, the little canapes and all the fancy stuff. Yeah, but we will do, we'll do, do anything, anything, yeah. Oh, I don't know, pies. We've had... Um, well, he doesn't uh, love a pie, good. right? The pie guy from Holborn. We've had Holborn Dining. Holborn Dining. Oh, Callum. Uh, Callum. Callum. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, now that's, that's art, that that's is. Re- that's a real that's pie, art, that is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and again, we'll we'll put some links to that. And thank you, Hannah Glasson of Intune. Uh, where can we get these? Is it just in co-working spaces or, or are they available in retail outlets? Available in Fortnum & Mason. Cool. Aggressive <laughs> luxury retailer, uh, Planet Organic, available ah. through our website, Engine Drinks. Organic, there you go. There you, go. You, you probably need some of these. Keep focused. Keep focused. I need to get focused today. <laughs> you always need to be focused. <laughs> 
God, he doesn't really like me much. Um, <laughs> you see the looks he gives me. It's good job it's radio. Uh, you've been listening to the Food Talk Show and we're syndicated to radio stations across the UK and further afield, as well as being available on Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, iTunes and the podcast app on your phone. Thank you to my fellow presenter, Ollie Lloyd. Thanks, Ollie. You're welcome. Um, if you want to recommend any future guests, somebody doing something groundbreaking in the food sector, please get in touch with us via Twitter on at Food Talk Show. And if you want to listen to any of our hundreds of podcasts, go to fooddoc.co.uk, where there'll also be links to our lovely guest today. And of course, we're on the Speciality Food Magazine homepage website. So I hope you have a good week. Bye bye. 